the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, but at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. Today I'll be talking about how to use social media strategically to advance our Indigenous resistance and resurgence efforts. This will be part of a series on my podcast. Today is part one, the basics. I'll address five core issues, how to use the research on social media, having a strategy, remembering your values, and also how to address trolls and protect yourself with concerns around safety. There are so many platforms available to us today. I mean, look at Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google+, Snapchat. You can hardly keep up with them all. But there's also YouTube and podcast sites like this one on SoundCloud, as well as traditional websites and the blogger sites that have been around for quite a while. Now, lots of different people prefer to use only one or two platforms because they use them casually to stay in touch with friends or family, or some people just use it to stay on top of the news. So some people have a Twitter account, they don't tweet or retweet, but they just watch all of the news highlights. There's many different ways that we can use social media, but there are also those who Um, use social media in a really targeted and direct manner. Like think of all the people that are in entertainment, media, business, or education where they're using these tools not just for recreation but to really maximize the visibility of their say business ads or promotion of their you know rock band or new movie that kind of thing. And then there are folks like us who are involved in Indigenous resistance and resurgence or our social justice allies who are involved in um, uh, anti-climate change work, anti-poverty work, uh, all of those really important values um, and all of those really important projects who use social media to try to reach as many people as possible across as many different demographics for the sake of, you know, not just sharing information, but also analysis and strategies and to send out positive messages so that other people know that, you know, we're there, we have a community of like-minded folks who are who are trying to advocate for social justice and earth justice and all of those really important things. Um, so, let's get started. The first uh, real issue is how to use the research to, you know, strengthen your use of social media. And when I say the research, there are literally tons of books now written on social media. And the same with online. You can you can Google any social media platform, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and there will be a ton of of research on how to use that strategically. So, I mean, it would be great if you could just type one message and hit send all and that would go right across your platforms. However, that's actually not the most strategic thing to do. Um, each, each social media site has their own 
complex set of analytics and strategies. So if you, I mean, go online and look up Track Social, Revive Social, Social Report, HubSpot, Social Bakers, Union Metrics. I mean, there are literally a ton of them. And they track and analyze social media usage. And while I've noticed some variation in in the research uh, and what their advice is, they tend to show some, you know, basic or similar patterns. And if you take Facebook, for example, um, there's about 18 million Facebook users in Canada. Just a little over half of them are women. But the vast majority of Facebook users tend to be younger folks who use Facebook on a weekly basis. Now, if you're talking about a larger message, like say you're talking about climate change or indigenous resistance for, you know, our indigenous brothers and sisters all over the world, it's important to know that there's literally 2 billion Facebook users. But the key here is that there's 1 billion that are daily users. So they log on to Facebook every day and look for updates. And if they're part of very specific communities that focus on things like climate change or indigenous rights, rights or human rights, it's important that they're able to find content. Um, so it, you know, this, this research might be a little boring or dry if you're not into statistics. However, it's this kind of information that's really important to know because it shows you who your potential audience is and how often they access your particular website like Facebook and also things like what time of day and which days are best to post. So for example, on Facebook, if you have less than 10,000 followers, which tends to be the majority of us, one post a day is best because if you get into posting three or four things a day, then you actually lose followers and you lose engagement. And on Facebook, the best time of day to post is at 1 p.m. And that's, and if you post at 1 p.m., according to the research, that's when your post, you know, your video, your news article, your research report, that's when it'll get the most amount of shares. But the most amount of engagement, uh, it tends to be on the weekend. And that's really no surprise because people aren't at work. Now, if you look at Twitter, it has a lot less uh, users. There's only 17 million Twitter users in Canada. There's 260 million worldwide, far less than Facebook, but it's still increasing every year. And in terms of the audience, it's divided, you know, roughly equally between men and women. Now, it's different on Twitter in terms of what is the best amount of posting to do? So the research is saying that three tweets a day is the sweet spot for Twitter because if you tweet too much, then engagement goes down and people tune you out. And if you tune, uh, if you tweet too little, then also people think that you're not engaged and so they don't engage with your material. Now for Twitter, the best time of day to tweet is actually the same as Facebook, 1 p.m., but also between 5 and 6 p.m. That's when you're going to get the maximum engagement because lots of people access Twitter during their commute home from work. So I think it's really important to know that, especially if um, the person who is following you on Twitter uh, follows lots of people. That means their, um, their posts are going to proceed through. They're going to have lots of posts and might even miss noticing your post. Um, but if you're tweeting at the time that they're looking at it, 
that uh, increases the chance that they'll not only see your post, but also engage with it. Now, Instagram is, uh, I guess, the rising star of social media. It has, you know, it still only has 9 million users in Canada, but it does have 4 million users worldwide, and it is expanding rapidly. The problem is also that it's expanding rapidly for companies and businesses uh, who are promoting their goods and who can buy targeted ads. So sometimes that might fill up your Instagram. Um, but basically, for, for Instagram, the best time to post is at 8 a.m. before work, or 5 p.m. after work, and the best days are Mondays and Thursdays. And I mean, this literally all comes from the research of who's on and when they log on. However, I have seen more recent data to suggest that if what you're posting is a video, the best time to do that is at 9 p.m. at night, uh, apparently because people haven't uh, have, have come home from work, uh, attended to all their daily chores and the younger kids are in bed and they're just flipping through Instagram and actually have the time to watch a video. So I think that's important as well. Um, so you can see there's like a bit of a science to all of this posting business and I don't think you have to get too technical about it. I mean, at the at the end of the day, people who are searching for your content hopefully will be able to find it. But I think if we're trying to be strategic about it or if we're really concerned about maximum exposure, then those are some of the some of the tips that we could find to use research to our advantage. Now, the other core point about um, the basics of social media is about having a strategy. So I've read quite a few books on people who have become social media influencers or entrepreneurs, and they always started out with a strategy. Basically, you know, know what your ultimate goal is. Is your goal to educate people about human rights? Or are you an organizer for social justice movements and you're trying to bring people together? It's important to know that because, again, according to the research, if you're trying to be uh, provide recipe tips and educate people about human rights, and follow everything that Beyonce does, and you just have this mixed bag of things on your social media, it's confusing for people, and it's hard to know whether or not people should follow you. And when they do follow you, if you start tweeting about something that they don't care about, uh, then you end up losing followers just as quickly as you gain them. So that's something to consider. Um, you should also, Figure out, you know, once you know your real goal, figure out which social media tools best align with who you want to reach and how you want to reach them. Now, for, for some of us, we might be using all of the social media tools. And I think, you know, that's, again, that's uh, an idea of maximum exposure. However, how you use each one of those tools is going to be very important. So say, for example, you're an indigenous artist and you're wanting to inspire cultural resurgence in your community, but also with other indigenous communities, not just here on the northern part of Turtle Island in Canada, but maybe um, in the USA and other parts of indigenous territories. Then a social media outlet like Instagram is a perfect match because Instagram is primarily a visual medium and where the pictures that you post form the core content. 
So if you're the kind of person who only wants to share research reports or facts and statistics and that kind of thing, you might be better off using Facebook, for example, and including Facebook groups that share your same focus um, as opposed to Instagram because Instagram's primarily visual. Now, obviously, if you're going to be doing primarily videos, like say you're trying to educate people on certain topics, um, then your go-to you know, choice would be YouTube, given that they literally have over 1.8 billion users, um, which is almost as many as Facebook worldwide. And the other thing to consider is that there's like 5 billion videos watched on YouTube every single day. So on the positive side of things, if your core message is done by video, then on YouTube, you have the potential for maximum exposure of your message. I mean, it's just huge. On the negative side, however, that potential for huge exposure comes with the downside of having an awful lot of competition on YouTube. You really need to find a way to make your videos and your message stand out from other people. But I don't think you only have to look at YouTube for videos. I mean, you know, Instagram is is catching up really fast. And now there's an Instagram TV app that's either outside of Instagram or within Instagram that has the option for longer videos. Before you could only post short ones. Now you can post longer ones. And Facebook has allowed you to post videos. So it's just ultimately about going back and doing a little bit of research about which are the best places and times for your messages and, and even the lengths of your videos, for example. And then you have to think about your ultimate commitment to posting consistently. So, you know, if you're a recreational user and you post a video, you know, a I don't know, say a five minute video of someone who did a really cool dance at someone's wedding. Um, you're not thinking about maximum exposure. You're posting that for the enjoyment and entertainment of your family and friends, for example. But if you're doing it for maximum exposure to help educate, to help inspire um, resurgence, and you're looking for as many followers and as much reach as possible, then on platforms like YouTube, it's very important that you post content consistently because according to the research if people post content irregularly like your followers don't know what day or time you'll be posting or you post one video and then you don't post again for six months then you can lose followers just as quickly as you gain them for good videos for example and um there, you know, the research is pretty strong in that most people have expectations of YouTube sort of like TV, at least for the channels that they follow. So, you know, there's always the exceptions. There's, you know, viral videos that have their 15 minutes of fame. But if you're watching, you know, like a regular channel, like say Young Turks, then, you know, people expect to have regular content at regular times. And if not, they'll just move on. And so, you know, the more it, and this seems to be consistent. So there's lots of actual YouTubers and Instagrammers that post content about how to post content. And they said that even though it's important to post consistently, the most important thing is in fact, good content. Never post for the sake of just posting something like a blurry picture or a terribly written blog or an ill-planned out video just to say you have something. It would be much better in fact to wait until you have good content. 
And, you know, the content's going to be different for different people. I mean, everyone has a different style. It could be, you know, just basically informing. It could be entertainment, uh, you know, entertaining. It could be shocking or... Um, but I think the, the idea is that it be helpful in some way. And then if you're looking at the, you know, the third point of social media basics is to remember your values. It's so, I mean, social media is just so quick. It's so instant. Um, sometimes people forget that, you know, one of the most important things is that no matter what platform you use, they're literally all extensions of who you are as a person. So even though you don't see the other person that you're talking to or sending a message to, your professional and personal credibility is reflected in every post you make. And I know some people don't give necessarily a lot of thought to that. Like think of our youth today. They might not be concerned about how they look today because it's cool when they're 15 or 16 and they don't give a lot of thought to, hey, what's going to happen 10 years down the road when I'm looking for a job? And I think that's why it's important to be discerning about how you represent yourself and your message, especially those of us involved in Indigenous resistance and resurgence and trying to get our warrior message out there. Um, I mean, the, the ability to be anonymous on social media has really allowed some awfulness to spread online. But I don't think that our personal, you know, warrior identities have to follow suit in any particular way. So for example, even if we have a particular audience in mind, so let's just say you set up a podcast and your goal is to inspire and educate the resistance um, and, and you're only focusing, let's just say, on, on Indigenous adults, you really have to think about not just who you want to reach, but who you could be reaching. Maybe kids are listening to your podcast or youth or community members, professionals, elders. And so think about what are your values and ethics that are going to be, you know, both personal and professional in nature um, in how you deal with everyone who listens to your message. And I think that makes it a that brings to mind a little different consideration. You know, the difference between your target versus who's going to be listening and how you would want to deal with any of those groups directly one-on-one. -on -one. Because, you know, that whole saying about what goes online stays online forever, I think that's something that we always have to keep in mind. And the research is, you know, pretty frightening. It shows that people have not gotten into universities and colleges because of what they posted online. They've been looked over for jobs. They weren't able to rent houses. And they've even lost jobs all because of content that they posted online. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, the fact is that's exactly what's happening. So whether it's like cursing and swearing or posting provocative pictures or videos at drunken parties or negative rants about your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who just really did you wrong. Think about whether this is how you want the entire world to know you from now until eternity and whether this strengthens your message. And this is why some um, social media experts say, you know, if you really need to do some of that stuff, maybe it's better if you have private social media and a public social media. That doesn't always guarantee that you'll be protected, but 
uh, it's probably best if you're if you're really focused on getting out core messages to separate those two things. And there's been lots written on like social media ethics. Um, and some of their top tips are basically be transparent. So be honest about who you are in your agenda. And let's say, for example, you write a blog that promotes, I don't know, the tar sands, for example, and your blog is sponsored by an oil company. You really need to divulge that because people have the right to have all of the information before them so that they can determine the credibility or lack thereof of the content that you're posting. You should never be anonymous and you should never be hiding anything. Their other tip is give due credit. So this is something that I don't think social media has really totally grasped yet, but it's basic concepts like never use someone else's work as your own. Always give credit. It's okay to share a post. You just need to say whose work it is or where you got it from, um, that kind of thing. And then there's, um, you know, two-way communication. And I think this is important especially for those of us trying to get maximum exposure for our messages. You know, don't just be followed. Follow other people who are engaged in the same kind of activities you are. Um, Comment and respond back to people who comment to you. You know, it's really about making an effort to engage uh, with the people who are making an effort to engage with your content. And then the other issue is really respect privacy. So once you do get followers, don't spam them and spam them and spam them and really turn them away from whatever social media outlet you're using. That's a sure way to get blocked or lose them. Uh, People tend to engage if they want to engage. It's okay to encourage or, you know, ask for questions or comments and that kind of thing. But don't ever spam directly followers. And their other big uh, social media ethical tip is to avoid what they're calling uber vanity, which means that it's okay to promote your work. I mean, that's the whole point of social media. But remember to look around and promote the work of other people as well. We can really use social media strategically to build up other people like other people generally do for us as well. So if there's someone out there promoting your uh, articles or your work or your blogs, then, you know, in turn, make sure you promote other people. It doesn't have to be the same people, but look around and see how many people can we lift up in our efforts to rebuild uh, this sense of uh, warriorhood and resistance and resurgence and revitalization of our culture. And I think that's really important. Now, although this, you know, might make my podcast a little longer than I intended, I really can't leave the subject of social media without speaking about two more important core issues. One is the tackling of trolls and how to be safe online. So the first one is trolls. Now, when I talk about trolls, I'm not talking about people who disagree with your viewpoint or make critical comments about whatever content that you post, you know, your videos or blogs or whatever. There's actually, I mean, as far as I see it, there's actually a lot of value in folks who take the time to offer critique. Hey, you know, your article was okay, but you didn't consider this case. Or, hey, you said you were going to make five points, but you only made four. What's the fifth one? Or, you know, I don't think your opinion is supported at all by the research. I mean, these are 
critical comments that might be worth actually looking into and seeing, hey, did I cover everything fairly? Did I cover everything? Uh, is this case something that should have been covered? Um, those are things that I think that we should actually value. When I'm talking about trolls, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who are spreading negativity for the sake of negativity. And those trolls kind of break down into two basic categories. The first one are paid trolls. There's actually staff and contractors who are paid to provide counter information to a whole range of specific social movements or causes that you might be promoting. I mean, they're literally paid to purposely cause conflict, A, for the you know uh, sake of generating attention for a particular cause or a person, but also to provide counter information and noise and misinformation so that there's so much um, conflicting information out there, people won't know what to believe. And that's actually been a very useful strategy in politics. Uh, it hurts the people, but it seems to serve uh, the goals of politicians who say want to deny that there's any kind of climate change going on. Now, sometimes these paid trolls are doing it, like I said, for political purposes, because what they're trying to do is to draw out a reaction in someone online um, to cause them to make a misstep or a mistake that can be used against them later. So that happens in a lot of, say, election campaigns. And it's, I mean, it's hard to believe, but yes, being a paid troll can actually be a job. And then there's basically individual trolls. They're not paid by anyone to do this stuff, but they're just folks who are negative about everything and their attacks tend to be more personal in nature. So for example, you could release a blog and their response to your blog is, you're so ugly, why would anyone listen to you? It literally has nothing to do with the content. It's just a personal attack. Now, lots of these individual trolls will name call, they'll swear, berate, belittle for no purpose other than to humiliate their target. Now, the thing about them though, uh, at least according to the research, is that they often have very few of their own followers and some of them are trying to jump onto your fame by getting you to argue with them. So what you're essentially doing by responding is actually boosting their exposure to um, your all your own followers that they never would have had in the beginning. So some of these trolls, uh, they're sexist or racist or homophobic or they want to cause public outrage or pain by lashing out at one or more individuals. Many of the time uh, they hide behind fake names. But what they're hoping that you'll do is that you'll be so outraged by, say, their racist comments that you'll retweet their comments to your followers and say, oh my goodness, can you believe this guy is saying this? And by doing that, it takes that you've essentially given them a soapbox. So if they only have 10 followers and you have a thousand, now their racist message has gone to your thousand followers. And then your followers spread it to other people and their message gets amplified. Now, I'm not really a fan of of amplifying messages, especially from hate groups, like known hate groups like white supremacists, for example. Now, I've read a lot of 
really great books about, you know, from social media influencers and online entrepreneurs, and they all handle trolls differently. You know, some will actually engage with trolls with humor, others ignore them, some try to fight back with facts. But for me, if it's a real troll, just a hateful, miserable person that's doing personal or racist attacks, for example, then my policy is not to engage with them at all. Um, I just block and delete them because ultimately our social media platforms, our hours, there is no obligation that we can let anyone and everyone into our social media groups if we don't want them to. And I make that rule, especially if they're uh, posting racist, sexist or other harmful content. Because the last thing I really want to do is give a ranting racist a bigger, you know, a bigger platform to share their views. Um, And similarly, I never retweet, uh, I try never to retweet a post from someone who has attacked someone else in a very violent way or made any threatening messages. I try always just to uh, report that to the social media platform and let them take care of it, but not um, forward it on because what you're doing is just promoting the hurt. Now, that's a little bit different from addressing racism in society. And I think it's very important when a public figure like a prime minister or a minister says something racist. I think it's important to actually address that content. I don't know necessarily that we have to retweet everything they say, but I think addressing what they did and countering it is important. There's just different ways of doing it and that just happens to be the way that I do it. Now this leads me to the last tip for the day and that's about safety first. And while this applies to everybody who is on social media online, I can't stress this enough for children, youth, and especially women. I mean, social media is a fantastic tool for our warriors to use in the resistance and resurgence and engaging with our people and allies. However, it's also a means by which very harmful people can forcibly engage with you. And, you know, you've probably heard all these tips before, but to me, I think they bear repeating. I don't think we should be giving out personal information like birth dates, social insurance numbers, cell numbers, or home addresses on, you know, online. And you might think, oh, well, that's just common sense. But there are actually people who do that. So, you know, a high school uh, group, they'll exchange cell phone numbers online so that everyone has their cell phone number so that they have maximum you know, friend exposure, but it also gives, you know, undesirable people people the same kind of access. But even more than just, you know, the safety issue, there's also your, you know, identity safety. All of that kind of information is prime information for identity thieves. And you don't want identity thieves taking your information, nor do you want undesirables knowing where you live or where you are or how to find you. And I think in that same vein, we have to be careful about posting where we are and pictures with identifiable landmarks, um, especially if it's a situation. And like, I'm, I mean, there's lots of different scenarios where, you know, you're visiting in France and you, you post a picture of some tourist landmark. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're coming home late 
from being out with your friends and you start posting, hey, look where I am, I'm halfway home and in the background is some identifiable landmark. Um, Or if your children have phones and they're very young and they're posting pictures of themselves hanging out in a public place and there's not any adults around. These are contextual situations where we have to really think about what we're posting and who has access to that. And I mean, these are just safety uh, suggestions that come from the research based on people who've had some really bad experiences. But the other thing I think that we can do is always constantly customize and update your privacy settings as much as possible on each platform because annoyingly enough there it's different for each platform. You have to update it. But at the end of the day, think about what is important for everyone to know about you in order for you to get your message out. Do people need to know exactly where you live in order for you to share a message about climate change? Do they need to know your cell number? I mean, many of these platforms have ways in which you can message and be messaged by people. So maybe uh, consider not doing that. And then another one um, that I wasn't aware of very early on, but I think it's a good suggestion, is to control or administer who gets to make comments or posts on any of your social media platforms. Because sometimes your friends, um, without knowing, might post pictures or information about you that would not necessarily be safe in the public realm. It's good to have that, you know, stopgap where you get to approve what gets posted and what doesn't. Um, And then there are concerns, uh, growing concerns, obviously, about the specific information like geolocation uh, that can be used on a lot of different platforms that can be especially dangerous for women and should be disabled in certain contexts um, so that you're not giving live updates about your walking route home late at night, for example. Because many of these features or apps, they're all really fun and they can be used in different ways uh, that are completely harmless, but they can be very harmful if they're being used by the wrong folks. And I think it's just, um, it's prudent to think about that. Uh, And some of the other like online safety tips include things like never respond to actual threats, intimidation or abuse online. Uh, It's not likely to turn out well if you start engaging with people who are threatening to do you physical harm or to hurt you in any way. What the police suggest is that you take screenshots of any of those kinds of threatening messages, you know, report it to the website, but also depending on what they say, it may be um, prudent to also report it to the police. Because we're all engaged, you know, in our own acts of resistance and resurgence and social justice. I think what's really important is that we do what we can to, you know, empower one another, help us share information to create a real revolution for change. But I think we need to stay focused take steps to support one another as a community and stay safe because that's the best way to be a warrior for our people and the planet is if we're all safe in in doing what it is that we're doing. So I hope you found these uh, core basics of social media use for strategy um, purposes, you know, for our resistance and resurgence. I hope you found it useful. There'll be more detailed podcasts in the future um, with particulars on on each platform. 
So thank you for tuning into my show and stay tuned in the coming weeks for some more amazing interviews with our on-the-ground warriors who are taking great personal risk to protect our lands, waters, and peoples. And please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, but also iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Voila. 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 Voila.